Happy Easter, family. All over the world, happy Easter. You know, historically, the church has always greeted one another with the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen indeed. I'll say the first, you say the second. Let's do it together. The Lord is risen. Let's do it again. The Lord is risen. Amen. The Lord is risen indeed. Let's hear the resurrection story together out of the Gospel of Mark. Are you ready? It's chapter 16, the greatest story ever told right here. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Salome and Mary, the mother of James, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, when they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And so, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, do not be afraid. Uh, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. This is God's word for us. We are God's people. Praise God for this reading. You know, we're going to pick up where we ended the story last week. If you'll remember, we ended the story there at Golgotha. Jesus was on the cross and this is where we pick up. It's Friday, Friday afternoon, three o'clock, Golgotha. So it is Friday afternoon, three o'clock, outside the city walls of Jerusalem. It's a place known as Golgotha, which in English is translated as the place of the skull. And it sure looked like the final triumph of evil. Everything you know, that we could throw at him, seemed to win. You see, uh, you look at this picture and you say, well, this guy Jesus, well, he gave it his best shot. He tried his hardest, but it sure appeared that the forces of evil had won the battle. Every bit of the ugliness, every bit of the violence, every bit of the pain that we human beings could muster was thrown at Jesus that day when God in human form hung on that cross. And it sure seemed like the religious leaders got everything they wanted, right? They got nearly everything they wanted and nearly every one of their problems was now solved. Now, I said nearly all of their problems were solved because they still had several huge, significant issues they had to deal with. You see, I said it was Friday, and it was Friday afternoon, and it was about 3 o'clock, and the Passover Sabbath began at sundown, which was only three hours away. The religious leaders, well, they had things to do, they had places to go, and they still had two criminals hanging on a cross on either side of Jesus who weren't dead yet. And that was a problem. You see, the religious leaders, they didn't want a trio of dead bodies hanging on crosses on the Sabbath day. 
and especially on the high holy days of Passover. I mean, uh, I, I told you recently that, that during Passover, visitors swarmed into Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem swelled by 200,000 people during Passover. What would the visitors think? To see a trio of dead bodies hanging on the cross when they're coming, hanging on crosses when they're coming into town. That certainly wouldn't do a whole lot for tourism in Jerusalem, would it? So they, these religious leaders, they petitioned Pilate to speed up the death of the criminals by breaking their legs. And so by the time the criminals died, it was now 4 p.m. They only had two hours now to get all three bodies down from the cross and get them buried. They had to hurry. So they were taken down. They were, the, 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 the Jewish regulations didn't allow burials to happen on the Sabbath day. And all of Jesus' disciples had scattered. They were gone. But all four Gospels tell us about one man, one man, listen to this, one man who was a follower of Jesus who had the guts to hang around. This guy was Joseph of Arimathea. And he asked for permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body and, and bury it, even in his own family tomb. Well, the question is, who is this guy, Joseph of Arimathea? Well, you might be surprised that all four Gospels mention his name. All four Gospels mention Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he wasn't one of the twelve, was he? But all four Gospels mention his name. In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that he was an honored member of the High Council. That is, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a part of the group that voted to put Jesus to death. That's what Mark tells us. Matthew tells us that, uh, that he was a rich man, a rich man who had become a follower of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke, Luke the Gospel writer says, look, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a good and righteous man, a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decisions and the actions of the other religious leaders. And then there was the Gospel of John. And look what he said. John said that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. Now, Joseph's fear of identifying himself publicly with Jesus is not really unlike uh, some other well-respected members of society that, that I've known. I mean, after all, what would people think if they knew that, that he was a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who takes his faith seriously. I mean, what might that have cost Joseph of Arimathea as a well-respected, wealthy member of Jewish society, and besides that, even a member of the Sanhedrin? What if, what if these people had known that he was a follower of Jesus? What might have it cost him? But it also makes me wonder if things might have turned out differently had Joseph of Arimathea spoken up during the time of the, the Sanhedrin when they were debating the fate of Jesus. Might things have 
turned out a bit differently. I mean, can you identify with Joseph? Can you identify with this man? I mean, are you a secret follower of Jesus? Maybe because you wonder what other people will think of you if they knew that you were a person that took your faith seriously? Well, one thing we know for sure, it sure appears that Joseph's fear left him as soon as Jesus died, because what we know is that he went to Pilate, petitioned Pilate to, to take Jesus' body, and then even volunteered to put Jesus, to bury Jesus in his own family tomb. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us and describes Jesus' burial place as a garden not far from the crucifixion. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, one of the places you've been, particularly if you've been with me, is you've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem. Now, I need to say this because this is the site, the traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, I've got to tell you, this doesn't look a whole lot of what how you might picture the, the, the site, because it has, been, uh, it has been gilded in gold and, and uh, adorned inside of a church. But listen to me for a moment. It was, it was Constantine's mother in, three, in the year 325 who did a very extensive uh, exploration to discover the significant sites in Jesus' life. It was determined and confirmed by archaeologists and by historians uh, overwhelmingly that this is the very site known as the place of the skull, known as Golgotha. In fact, I know it's very difficult to see in this picture, but underneath here, right here in this glass area and behind this altar is the rock on which the cross is said to have been planted. In fact, you know, uh, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look like uh, what we have come to expect, you know, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. But in order to even get to this place, you have to climb up a set of stairs to get up to this spot to see where Jesus was crucified. Not far from here, inside the same church, maybe a couple hundred feet away, you'll find the edicule, that is the, the tomb of Jesus. Here, is, here it is right here, inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Again, you say, gosh, this doesn't look like a tomb. Where is the carved rock? Where is all of that? Well, it's actually inside of this. All of this area back here where the church is built was excavated around that spot. And you say, well, pastor, how in the world do you know that this contained a first century tomb that could have been belonging to Joseph of Arimathea and that could have contained Jesus' body? Well, I can tell you this, that National Geographic just a few years ago did a one-of-a-kind exploration, scientific exploration of this tomb, unopened it for the very first time in anybody's, uh, in anybody's memory. In fact, nobody alive today has ever seen the inside of this tomb until, until National Geographic got permission to bring their scientists in. And National Geographic says 
that this is a first century tomb dated to the time of Christ. Of course, you can't, you can't say that this is exactly the spot because there, Jesus is not there. His bones are not in that tomb. He has risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. But it is a first century tomb right there in the church of the Holy Sepulcher. But right outside the city walls of Jerusalem, let's go to the next one. Right outside the city walls of Jerusalem is a place called the Garden Tomb. Now, it is not believed that this is the spot where Jesus uh, was actually buried and crucified. But this is what it, this brings you closer to what it might have felt like. Remember, the, we're told that the, the burial place in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb was in a garden area. Here's a, a first century tomb. And what is fascinating about this spot is just up here, away from the tomb, next slide, is what looks like a place of the skull. Do you see it? Eye, eye, nose, mouth. Right by that garden tomb. It is highly unlikely, honestly, that this is the spot. But there is nothing like being right there. And realizing that our Savior was put on a cross at the place of the skull and buried in a garden tomb. Well, Jesus was sealed in the tomb before sunset. While some were celebrating, they were happy he was dead. They saw him, many of the religious leaders saw Jesus as a bug that needed to be squashed. While some were celebrating, Others who knew him, who loved him, who followed him were in shock. They couldn't believe this was happening. This was their worst nightmare come true. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the end of the first day. And so now, it is Saturday, the second day. Now, let's just be honest here. We don't know a whole lot about what happened on the second day. We have very little information about what was taking place on Saturday. But we do know this, that Matthew tells us that Pilate ordered Roman soldiers to be stationed by the tomb because, according to the Pharisees, Jesus had said something about rising from the dead, and they wanted to ensure that that couldn't take place. They worried that the disciples might sneak in, sneak over to the tomb at night, steal the body, and claim that Jesus had risen. So what did they do? They said, Pilate, we need Roman soldiers stationed here by the tomb to make sure that no funny business was going to take place. That we know took place. Now, where were the disciples? We know this. All we know is that they were hiding behind locked doors in an upper room. Very likely, it was the same upper room that Jesus and his disciples had celebrated the Passover meal together uh, in Jerusalem before he was arrested that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. They, very likely, they were there. Uh, 
but we know that they were all in hiding. After all, they had no idea that the religious leaders weren't looking for them to set up another set of crosses with their names on them to accuse them of being an accomplice of Jesus. Besides that, can you imagine how racked with guilt they were? Their Savior was crucified. Peter said that he didn't even know him. He denied him multiple times at the house of Caiaphas. They had all scattered. They were racked with guilt. Only John showed up at the cross. He was the only one of the twelve that actually showed up with, with, uh, with Jesus' mother at the cross. And not one of them was present at the burial. Only Joseph of Arimathea, and as I said, he wasn't one of the twelve disciples. They just had to be racked with guilt. I, I, just, I just imagine that. And not only that, just think, these disciples had had left everything to follow Jesus, hadn't they? Can you imagine that? That you would leave your family, that you would leave your job, that you would leave everything and go and follow this one. You put all your hope, you put all your faith, you put everything into this. And then you watch him beaten and bruised and bloodied and then nailed to the cross and then no, you knew that he was no more. They had, they had given everything. They believed that he was the long-awaited Messiah of God, that he was the one who was going to restore Israel. And now the unthinkable had happened. Evil had won. Rome had killed the Messiah. Their hopes, their dreams, their faith was shattered against the cross. You know that they had to be in utter despair. And that, Folks, is all we know that happened on Saturday, the second day. And now it's Sunday morning. It's sunrise. It's now day three. And as the sun was breaking over Jerusalem, Mary Magdalene and two other women... Uh, made their way to the tomb. They had already purchased the burial spices. You know, they had to get them off the cross so quickly they didn't have time to perform the burial ritual. All they could do is take him down and, uh, uh, and wrap him up and put him in the tomb. They were hoping now that they could, that they could come back and then actually carry out the burial rituals, anointing him with the, the spices and the oils and, and all that was necessary. But they were scared to death. They had no idea how they'd get into that tomb. They knew it was sealed up tight, and they knew there were Roman soldiers stationed there. They may not even be allowed to get near that tomb. They didn't know what they were going to do. But when they got closer, they discovered that, that that stone had rolled away. They didn't need anybody to help them push it away. They didn't have to deal with the Roman soldiers. The stone was moved. And they, they looked in, and there was an angel there. He said, look, I know what you're here for. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And I can tell you that he's not here, for he has risen from the dead. Oh man, these women, they were, 
They, they, they didn't know what to think. All they knew is that they had to tell somebody. They had to share this good news. So the first people they went to was the disciples. You know, and I got to tell you, you know, anybody who hears a resurrection story like this, whether it be from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the underlying message in all of this is clear. That the resurrection story that anybody rising from the dead, hearing that for the first time, everybody knows that this is an unbelievable story. And it's considered to be unbelievable. In fact, look what Gospel of Mark says. Mark said it himself. He said, the women learned that Jesus had been raised, but they were so afraid that they didn't tell anybody. Matthew said, even after the disciples saw Jesus alive, quote, unquote, some of them doubted. Look at that. Some of them doubted. Uh, Luke says, Mary Magdalene and the other women rushed back to tell the disciples what they had seen. But look at this verse right here. But the story sounded like, what's that word? The story sounded like what? The story sounded like what? Say it out loud. It sounded like nonsense to them. So they, de they didn't believe it. Look what John says. And who can forget the story of Dalton Thomas, right? He said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. Folks, I got to tell you, I, I'm truly grateful. I am truly grateful that the gospel writers were, were so courageous, that they were courageous enough that they were even willing to record the doubts that Jesus' own disciples had regarding the resurrection. I mean, if men and women who were there found it difficult to believe, how much more difficult may it be for you and me to believe who have not yet seen Christ with our own eyes? Now, listen, you know, I got to just say that, you know, as a pastor, the Easter story is difficult to preach. It's difficult to preach for one reason, year after year after year, because the facts don't change. It's the same story, death, burial, and resurrection. The facts are the same. And here's the second reason. It's because the resurrection, for some people, can be very hard to believe. Like Thomas, there are many 21st century Thomases who hear the resurrection story and say, yeah, right, unless I see it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it. And to make it easier to, to, make it easier to, to, uh, to, to, to get, you know, so many people have, have tried to, to change up the resurrection story, have made up stuff to go along with it, claiming that, that Jesus wasn't really dead, that he just simply fainted. That's one story. Another story is the fact that, that uh, they say that, uh, that the tomb really wasn't empty at all. They just thought it was empty. Another group says that, that the disciples came and they stole Jesus' body. They stole it during the night. But let me ask you this. You know, how in the world did they get past the Roman soldiers? If they, 
if they stole the body, how did the Roman soldiers not get it? How did they? And here's the other thing. You know, I was thinking about this, that most of the disciples, except for John, died a very gruesome death. And they died this gruesome death holding on to the belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. I mean, would they all been willing to die for a lie? To uphold a lie? I, I don't think so. And still others claim that the Romans themselves stole Jesus' body. Well, okay. Then why when then why on Sunday morning that when the disciples were claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, all the Roman soldiers had to do it was parade Jesus' dead body right through the streets of Jerusalem and prove them all to be a fraud. That's all the Romans would have had to do. Had to do. But of course we know that that didn't happen. You know, but the early church boldly asserted that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had bodily risen, that he appeared to the disciples and hundreds of others. And not only that, but he saw and talked and touched and ate with them. The early church very clearly asserted that Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, I just got to say, you know, there are a lot of things, folks, in this world that I just don't understand. You know, that I, I, I believe to be true, but I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it. I'll give you an example. Do, you know, how many, you know, the human body is made up of cells, right? How many atoms are found in each individual human cell? Do you have any idea how many atoms are found in each individual's human cell? Well, according to the latest science, here's what we know. That 100 trillion atoms are in every single solitary human cell in your body. 100 trillion atoms. Now, let me ask you this question. How many, ad I mean, how many cells are there in the average human body? Well... There are 10 trillion cells in the average human body. Now, if that's not a staggering number, think about this. You know, every cell has DNA. And if you stretch that DNA helix out, the latest science tells us that there are six feet six feet of DNA in every single solitary human cell. So, what does that mean? That means that there are 60 trillion feet, 60 trillion feet of DNA in every single solitary human body, or 11, uh, uh, 11 billion 400 million miles uh, uh, excuse me, 11 trillion miles of, uh, of DNA. Is that not incredible? Just think about that. That is absolutely astounding. It's, it's no wonder. I mean, I don't, at least I don't, I don't fully understand it. But 
I can say it's no wonder that I'm slightly overweight. You know, if you've got all of this DNA floating around in a body that's not even six feet tall. Do you understand all this? It's amazing. Think about this. You know, from the earth to the sun, from the earth to the sun, the distance is about 93 million miles one way or 186 million miles round trip. Say, what's that got to do with it? Just look at this next one. And that is this, that there are uh, 11 trillion, 11.4 trillion miles of DNA divided by the 186 uh, million round trips, uh, miles round trips, from, or round trips from the earth to the sun. That is 61.3 total round trips from the earth to the sun of DNA in our bodies. 61.3 round trips of DNA inside the average human body. Now, you say, what's all that got to do with Easter? Well, let me tell you this. So I ask myself, since I don't understand it all, I ask myself, is it possible, is it just possible for the God who created the world, the God who put together the atom, the God who wrote the DNA software that's in every last human body, is it possible for that God to transform and resurrect the physical body of Jesus after his death? And you know my answer is? Absolutely. Absolutely it's possible. You know, when you put all of that into perspective, resurrection is not all of that unbelievable after all. And if it's not unbelievable, just imagine the possibilities, people. Just imagine the possibilities. If resurrection is possible, imagine what it means to you. Imagine what it means for your family, imagine what it means. I mean, if Jesus is raised from the dead, then there is evidence of life after death. And if there is evidence of life after death, then this old world is not all that there is. And that this old world is not all that there is and all that we're created for, then you and I, we have the hope of heaven. And we have the opportunity to live with the one who breathed life into our bodies, who knitted us together in our mother's womb, who put all of that DNA in us, who created all of those cells, and who made it possible for us to take our first breath. We have the possibility of living with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, folks, just imagine. There's no doubt the disciples were transformed following the resurrection. I mean, these people who had deserted Jesus because they were afraid, they left their locked rooms. They left their locked rooms and went out into the world. And yeah, they faced some difficult times. They faced more difficult times than you and I have ever faced. They were arrested time and time again. They were beaten. They were abused. They were thrown into prison but they would never again feel the doubt and despair they felt before they had seen the risen and resurrected Lord. They faced life with hope 
with confidence because they had the promise of eternal life. They knew that they had life that would never end because they saw the fact that their Lord had overcome the grave. And no matter what the world threw at them, they knew that they were loved by the one more powerful than death. And for us, folks, we who are here in, uh, in uh, 2021 and, and, and uh, Easter, in a pandemic Easter 2.0, we hear and trust and celebrate this Easter story because we have the same faith and have discovered the same joy and we have the same hope that the disciples had nearly 2,000 years ago. Now, I got to say as I close, you know what, folks? You may try your hardest to make God stop loving you. But you know what? You're going to fail. You, you may try everything you've got. You may try every trick up your sleeve to make God stop loving you, but you're not going to succeed at doing it. How can I be so sure? Check this out, Romans 8. Powerful verse. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Ask that question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Listen to this. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. For I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for the, uh, today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing, listen to that, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, just imagine the possibilities. And you know something, folks? You and I who are tired of this pandemic, tired of life the way it is, just imagine the possibilities. Easter represents new life represents hope, represents the joy of living. This is the gift that God has given you. And I know that there are those of you out there who, who just simply don't feel loved. And I get it. It's because you've been hurt. You don't feel loved because you've been lied to or deceived or conned or betrayed. You've been hurt. And maybe at this point you're thinking, you know, I just don't know who to trust anymore. I don't know who to believe. Well, I want you to hear me say this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he says, the truth will set you free. And know this, Jesus will always tell you the truth. He always tells you the truth, and his truth will set you free. 
Maybe you've been battered and bruised and beat up physically or verbally. Jesus Christ says to you, I promise you, I promise that you can trust me. I promise that I will heal your broken heart. I promise this if you'll just trust me and give it to me. Maybe you've been rejected by somebody that you feel unwanted, that you feel discarded. Jesus says to you, I'll never leave you. I'll never desert you. Just imagine the possibilities of that in your life. Can you even imagine the possibilities? You say, how do I get it? How do I take that first step? Well, simple, you just got to let some of this stuff go. You got to let your fear go. You've got to let your fear go. Don't let your fear keep you from the greatest thing that God has created you to have. I've included this prayer at the very end here that I want to share with you. If you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to do it today. This is the God who loves you, the God who, who, who made those, those hundred trillion atoms that are in every one of the 10 trillion cells in your body. You may say, gosh, I just don't understand it. Yeah, I don't get it either, but I know I believe it's true. And I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and I believe that he loves you and me beyond our wildest dreams and our fondest imaginations. You just have to let your fear go and trust him. And so I'm going to invite you to pray the prayer with me. It's on the bottom of your screen. It's right there. If you want a brand new life, if you want hope for tomorrow, if you want life that never ends and a forgiveness that wipes your past clean right here, right now, this is the prayer for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. I accept you as my Savior. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean and make me new. I choose to follow you as my Lord. Help me to live according to your will each day. I wish to be your disciple. I offer my heart and my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me as you will. And I pray this in your name and for your sake, Jesus, amen and amen.